Hey there, and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 29 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity and insight and life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santamire, and I will be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down uh, with a friend that I first met in Lakeland, Florida, um, David Dukason. He is now a doctor, and um, he's continued on with his education. He's been a pastor, and a, now he's a writer, and um, he just published his first book. And I read the book and just thought it would be a great opportunity for us to sit down and uh, discuss it, uh, learn and grow from him, his wisdom, his insight, his experience. And um, yeah, I did the book really challenge me um, in many good ways. And um, to put those challenges into application, I think um, is in the book is timely at the time that we're going through. Um, just a very timely book about being a, a neighbor. He created a, a new word. And uh, and we talk about that, what led him to, um, you know, move his, the location of the church he planted and, and create a new word and write a book. And uh, just a phenomenal um, phenomenal interview and appreciated him. And I know you will not, uh, you not, uh, be disappointed. Just want to mission, um, continue to send in your questions for back channel with both back channel with both is an opportunity that we have, you know, normally, uh, Dick will sit down and answer, um, one or two questions before we jump into the interview of the podcast. Um, we do that once a week and, uh, Dick will answer questions that are sent in. And, uh, those are along the growth capacity, growth areas, personal health, family health, uh, building teams, people care, uh, misological, maturity, um, leadership, intelligence, and, and you know, they're in the show notes. So send, continue to send your questions. We have a lot. We continue to curate them. And um, man, it's just great for uh, Dick to learn from his wisdom, his insight and experience. So, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. I'm so excited to be here with a friend that um, we went and started Southeastern at the same time back in the day. I won't tell you how old I am, but anyway, that's a, <laughs> been, a, been a few years ago. But anyway, good to be here with Dr. David Dukinson and looking forward to having a transparent conversation with him. Could you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience um, and just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on today, Aaron. I really appreciate it and to all the missionaries and leaders that are out there. Um, thanks for tuning in today to, to listen to this conversation. I uh, was a pastor for 20 years, church planter for the last 12 years. Um, and then uh, about five or six years ago, we moved uh, the, the church that we've planted here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, from a really affluent community to a really high poverty community, uh, right on the border between the two actually. And I uh, just learned a lot from that. Uh, ended up doing my doctoral program, studying uh, cyclical patterns of generational poverty. And in that, I started to, to really start to uh, have a broader understanding of how race and economic, uh, racial and economic injustice play into uh, generational poverty. And so just a really big uh, learning experience over the last several years, both relationally, uh, ministry-wise, and um, academically. Um, and then most importantly, I'm married for almost 20 years to uh, my best friend, Dara, and we've got four kids that are uh, Max, Mary, Jack, and Ben here in Charlotte. So we keep it, awesome. keep it nice and uh, crazy around our house. Yeah, sounds good. Hey, just wanted to ask you, um, jump into the questions. Um, you know, the title of your book is a, is, is a new word for me. So I just wanted to see <laughs> if you could just share a little bit of the backstory of what compelled you to move the church you were pastoring to create a new word and then to jump into write and then and then and then to jump into writing this book. 
Yeah, it is a little bit of a mouthful, isn't it? I, um, I, I can't take credit for creating a, an entirely new word, but I will say that I found one during my studies that I've never heard before. So Me neighborliness. Too. Me too. Until I saw uh, the title. Neighborliness. Yeah, neighborliness uh, is, uh, to me, that is just a, a really beautiful word. I think that we focus a lot on the first half of the greatest commandment, which is learning ways to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind, and our strength. Um, if I'm honest, I think that we could do a better job in the kingdom of learning what it means to love our neighbor. And hmm. so the book just kind of came out of this, uh, this season where the, you know, in the introduction of the book, I talk about this moment where I had been preaching the, to this beautiful little congregation of, you know, word of mouth, everything spread just really naturally. It was the most beautiful, generous community that I had ever been a part of. Uh, you know, our audience today would be really, um, uh, they would uniquely appreciate this. Our little church of 200 people at that time had sent out over 20 missionaries to the Oof. field. Wow. And so I just kept on telling people, if you if you love God with every part of your heart and soul, your mind, your strength, you're going to, it might cost you something. It will cost you. It'll cost you everything. And you may end up not even here anymore. And yeah. And so the natural outflow of relationship with Jesus just kept on being people that we would be bawling our eyes out, sending out the people that were closest to us all over the world. And that was just beautiful. But there was this one moment, Aaron, where I was just, I got up to preach and I looked out across our beautiful little congregation of a couple hundred people. And I just had this moment. We all look alike. And the problem was, I didn't know why. And I don't, I didn't know why it took me five or six years to, to even notice that. And so that started me down a really, started me down a real uh, path of, of curiosity and prayer and repentance. Um, I started to realize that, that um, I remember writing in my journal, like people invite like people. We weren't doing any advertising. And so it, it just really made me curious. And that's what led to some moments where the Lord started opening up some doors as I was praying the spirit led us to this opportunity to move from, uh, you know, like a, a very affluent community, right? You know, at the base of the buildings, basically yeah. in downtown, we call it uptown Charlotte, just to the other side of the buildings. But the difference might as well, it was a four mile move. It might as well have been 400 miles, hmm. you know, because the, the demographic went from predominantly white and affluent to predominantly black um, and high poverty. If you take a left out of our building and then if you took a right, it was predominantly white. So it was a hmm. real dividing line there. And so that was really the, the, the genesis of that uh, writing process for me uh, was born out of relationships with uh, people that I was noticing that, you know, they're, they're brilliant people that have been stuck in generational poverty for so hmm. long. And I started my doctoral program, started to study some of the systemic injustices that are present here in America. Um, which led to study of things that I learned all around the world. Um, you know, and, and Aaron, one of the big things that I'd say for, for this audience is, is that uh, injustice uh, is not an American thing, right? That's a, that's a sin thing. Yes. And, and I think that we need to, to, to really understand that if we're going to courageously address sin in relational parts of our life or in personal parts of our life, we also need to address um, systemic sin of oppression and different things like that. But uh, one of my friends said to me, 
uh, a guy named Peter Moskowitz that wrote this book, How to Kill a City, really great book on um, gentrification and inequality. He said that systems can change because systems are made of people. And so mm -hmm. as people are listening today, I just want, I want everybody to understand that when we look at huge things like systemic problems, it starts in our own hearts first. Mm. And so we've got to do some real inward stuff. So if, if, if somebody's moving into a new country or a new area, um, it's got to start in our hearts first. Like, like the psalmist David said, search my heart. Let me know where there's any way that may offend you. Um, and, and then we move into the issues that are larger once we have addressed issues in our own heart. So that's, that's some of the, uh, the early thoughts. No, that's good. That's good. And this is a this aside. How did you define neighbor? You talked about you know we we've not done so well. How what was your yeah. what's your definition of neighbor? Yeah, anyone created in the image of God. Um, you know Genesis one twenty seven. Uh, we're all a part of one family. Um, when I read Ephesians four, it talks about these beautiful um, gifts that come together. I don't see a single thing that that uh, separates us. And so I think we are all neighbors. I, I also. Uh, define race more with an economic bent than I do with a skin tone um, because race has been set up hmm. as a um, as a construct to intentionally separate people that is a construct that is human made hmm. race is um, our skin tones just reflect the beauty of God hmm. the diversity of God and um, and race was set up in order to uh, intentionally separate people so that groups could oppress other groups that were different than them. Oh. And so, so when I think of the word neighbor, it's just anybody who has been created in the beautiful image of God, that is my brother and my sister. That's my neighbor. That's good. That's good. You talk as I read through your book, read through the book, um, totally loved it. And um, it would challenge me. I'll be honest with you. It's not a book that you can read um, and just lightly read. It really engages mm -hmm. your heart and engaged my mind. And um, you talked about in there, um, one of the things that really stuck out to me, you said, you share, you share that we cannot place a burden or expect our friends from another background to teach us everything about um, their experience. You said we must take the responsibility on our own because the expectation for them to explain everything and to give us like the, 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 the story of their life can be exhausting. And yeah. so what are some ways that you've, you've developed and found um, to learn without exhausting our friends that maybe um, don't come from the same economic status or different backgrounds right. that are different than ours? Yeah. And again, I, this is fascinating for me because uh, to, to be talking to missionaries around the world, to see the parallels of just the boots on the ground here in Charlotte is really interesting because this really is like human stuff, right? So one of my friends, so I'll tell a story that I think will translate into wherever anybody is at. Um, I was moving into a new community. Um, I was very, very much behind the learning curve on um, the experience for um, minorities in our country. And, and I was trying to learn. I was genuinely trying to learn. And I really want you to hear this, Aaron. I was, I thought I was coming at this. I think I still to this day, I think I was coming at this with a pure heart. Mm. Like, and I asked my friend, um, I said, Hey, could you help me learn? And, um, you know, I want to know about systemic injustice. I want to, I want to learn about things that, that you have experienced. And she looked back. I'm too exhausted to do that with you today. 
And, um, and she said, if you really love me, there's plenty of ways that you can learn about this without me having to be your teacher. If you love me, go read a book. Hmm. And, and so for me, when I, when I talk to people about going into new settings, when I, so if I'm talking to a missionary about going into a new country, um, I, think it's, I think it is very important for people not only to read books on the culture, but the nuance of like just this curiosity of why do people like to do this or, or why is that a significant place or what is, and, and just finding different ways to, to learn on our own without putting the burden of education on our friends. Hmm. And what I've noticed is that if I'll do the work, if I'll do the hard work, the pre-work of, of learning and listening and growing and doing all that I can, uh, let, let's say that you and I, um, that I'm trying to learn about your culture. And let's mm-hmm. just say that we're from very different backgrounds. Um, if you're trying to explain something to me that you anticipate that I don't know anything about, but all of a sudden you're talking about it and I'm not arguing with you or being like, what? What do you mean by that? All of a sudden you are going to feel more comfortable and be like, hey, this guy might know what's up. You know, like he might know, like, how do you know that? You know, like, yeah. and, and all of a sudden it changes the dynamic. Um, also, I think a really practical tip, Aaron, would just be um, be voracious listeners and excellent question askers. Hmm. Um, and, and, and kind of when we're asking questions and it leads with this spirit of curiosity, I think that we need to view it as like going into a pool, like gradually. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, not getting like if, if you make a new friend, not being like, hey, how did that feel when, you know, you were evicted from your house? Yeah. Well, that's a little intimate. That's yeah. a lot intimate, yeah. you know, but just gradually asking questions, um, listening to the other person and then responding with, hey, could you explain that? So if somebody's going to share something with you, mm-hmm. that means that they've given you a gift mm-hmm. and active listening would mean that you say, okay let them lead the conversation and say, Hey, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Hmm. Just stay curious, just stay curious because you're not going to offend somebody if you're responding to where they're going with the conversation. Yeah. And so just active listening and saying, you know, Hey, explain that a little bit more to me or how did that feel? And you'll, you'll be able to tell if you have any cultural intelligence whatsoever, you'll be able to tell if you've crossed the line be like, Hey, maybe we're not there yet. And and so um, I think those are just some really practical things. Read some books, listen to, you know, people that have been around and teaching on stuff in those areas for a long time. Um, Ask great questions, be an active listener. I think all of those things are really, really important in uh, cultivating the spirit of neighborliness. Yeah. You know, that's, I think, uh, even for me, um, so I'll own it. You know, I can, I am concerned that sometimes my curiousness will become off as offensiveness, meaning that I ask a question, a question that, uh, to me sounds curious, but they're offended maybe by my premise of my question. Maybe there that I would be, and I admit that there's a, I have a lot of ignorance in a lot of different areas because I grew up in the Wally Ford, West Virginia, predominant, everybody looked like me. It was a great upbringing Mm -hmm. in that sense but I, there was not a whole lot of cultural diversity. So my background, when I ask questions, is it coming from that background without a great diversity background? And so have you learned some things? How can we get across that um, uh, fear of being um, offensive when we ask questions and uh, right. be curious, but not be offensive and, and hurt people in the process? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
Um, I mean, really, really practically, I think that people need to pay attention to tone a little bit mm. more, just tone of voice. Like That's I can, good. I can, you know, be listening to you and say, what do you mean by that? Or I can listen to you and say, oh, what do you mean by that? Mm. And, and it's a totally different question. Yeah. One of them sounds very um, aggressive and abrasive. One of them just sounds totally curious. Yeah. Like it's good. Uh, it sounds inviting, you know? Right. So tone of voice. Um, is huge. Um, I also think that um, that the, the scriptures talk about that we should treat each other the, the way that we want to be treated. Mm. And so if, I, if I'm engaging in wanting to learn, just try to have that, that we talked about cultural intelligence. Don't ask questions that are too deep, too fast. Mm. Understand that when somebody shares their story with you, they're taking a chance on you. They're taking mm. a chance that, that you're going to care well for their story. That's good. Um, especially if you're talking about somebody's cultural upbringing, if you're talking about somebody's um, story of, um, let's say that somebody is moving into an area in Africa that has had serious violence and pain and children being taken into, you know, uh, armies and, and well, let's be careful about how quickly we get into those types of questions, but stay curious and ask with a, a tone of voice that says, um, I mean, I think that you can dabble your toes into the water of question asking by like, you know, Hey, what are some of your favorite memories from growing up and then be an active listener? Hey, what are some, what are some things that were just fun for you guys growing up? And then as you get a little bit, you know, more down the road, what were some of the challenges that might have been different than, than me growing up in West Virginia? Yeah. So you see the tone of voice, keep it on a human level. You are not there trying to engage in conversation with somebody um, as, as an educator. Hmm. You're there. It, the more that you share your story, the more that you can piggyback on with that, the questions that you have. So you say, man, you know what? When I was growing up, and then you ask questions, you know, or you tell a story what was it like for you growing up? And now the tone of your voice and the way that you're engaging in that conversation is totally different. It's just curious. And it gives the person to be like, well, I don't really want to talk about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I wouldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, that's that. good. It's good. You know, we were having a conversation the other day with uh, some of our pastors here. We're talking about this, what we did. You, this might resonate a little bit with us and uh, talking about what we did working our way through Bible school. Their Bible college, and I and they were talking. And they said, well, "What did you do?" I said, "Well, I changed uh, adult diapers all the way through because I was a nurse at Lakeland Regional." And they <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. What, "They said, what do you mean?" And I said, "That's." But it was interesting as we talked about our journey to where God had led us. It was just fascinating to them. I said, "Yeah, when I had kids, changing little diapers weren't a, that wasn't a big deal because you know I'd spent all my southeastern yeah. days changing uh, adult diapers." But but sharing those stories. And realizing where we came from, it really, honestly, it was a connection point that I've been here yeah. for four, 14 years. And there was a connection there that we shared our journeys that, that hadn't happened mm -hmm. in 14 years. So, yeah. And I think that's a good point. Just real quick is that you share a story that's a little bit self-deprecating. Yeah. Um, you share a story that's like, it makes somebody laugh. Yeah. And then you can immediately turn that right there. What are, what are some of the crazy stories from your upbringing that I wouldn't yeah. know about? Yeah. You know, and so just that, that tone and that curiosity and the willingness for you to go first with vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Hey, I'm really looking forward to the next question. So let's jump into it. Um, it's kind of along the lines of Michael Lewis's book, The Undoing Project, but you jump into 
biases and man, there's something that, that I find fascinating. So you share in the book, you share that there are three main things that keep us from loving our neighbors. And you list these as unintentional blindness, implicit bias, and aversion um, to discomfort. Can you unpack those three for us? Yeah. So inattentional blindness is a, it's a psychological term, right? Okay. And, and when I was, um, was studying this, I thought, like probably you and many other people who are reading the book, I thought it was supposed to say unintentional blindness. There we go. Right? And, but it isn't. It's, it's a psychological term that makes you miss something that is right in front of your eyes. Hmm. And so we do this all the time. So our brains physiologically are wired to process the information that we need. Hmm. Inattentional blindness is, um, you know, like if you, if you have familiar paths that you've tra traveled for the last 14 years in Madagascar, you're not going to recognize everything that's around you anymore it's true. because you may pass by, you know, a certain place over and over and over and over again. But until you need to go to that place, you might say, Oh, I didn't even know that was there. That's true. You know, that's inattentional blindness. And I think that that is related to the way that, um, and this, this does get a little bit deep. So this one kind of, no, it's good. It's good. Um, when we're trying to explore relationships across dividing lines, we only process the information that we need. And hmm. so let me just talk about me. Let me just take this and own this myself. I have not needed to know about racial oppression because I, I was never oppressed. Hmm. I, was never, I was never engaged in, um, in a setting where I felt like because of the color of my skin that I was left out pushed aside, cast aside, marginalized, hmm. right? Or overlooked. Um, my inattentional blindness led me to, well, if I don't need to know about it, it must not be that bad. And hmm. so, that, so how arrogant is that, right? But it's a, um, it's a thing that happens inside of us without us even knowing it's happening. And so um, inattentional blindness and implicit bias are related to each other. They're like cousins that travel together because implicit bias is things that are embedded in our hearts and in our subconscious from the way that we were raised. And so, you know, like if we were going into a deeper conversation and, 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 and you and I have the type of trust, which I think we do, but we won't do it publicly right now, where um, I say to you, Aaron, tell me some stories about your growing up years in West Virginia. How were people that were different than you, how were they referred to? Hmm. So if this was my story, there was a lot of people in my growing up years that referred to black and brown people as them or they or um, those people. Hmm. That type of language creates distance in my mind yeah, between, and in my heart without me even knowing it as a child. I'm different than them. Hmm. I'm, those people are different than me. And so that's where um, the seeds of division are planted in us. They're not given to us from God at birth. Hmm. So it is sowed over time and a lot of people are passing on instinctively what they know. So it, without even knowing it, it's just instinct. So when I say those people, I am, I am being, I am, or when, when somebody is saying that to me about a community that is historically a rough neighborhood, mm -hmm. well, those people need to work better, work hmm. harder, you know, like those people need to, and, it, and that stuff is highly offensive because the more that I've gotten to know people in the very communities that were disparaged my growing up years and by me, the more that I realized that some of the hardest working people that I've ever met, some of the most hmm. joy-filled, God-loving, 
um, loving, loving, loving people I have ever met that are just trying to break this cycle, hmm. you know, and my inattentional blindness, I never saw it. My yeah. implicit bias, I had never addressed it. And so the courage piece of that, where, um, like I talk about aversion to discomfort. Yeah, that's it. Um, what I, what I talk about is, um, well, and actually David from the Bible is the one that really, you know, talked about this is when, when we pray this prayer and I call it a prayer of inattentional blindness and a prayer of implicit bias, hmm. search my heart. Let me know if there's anything inside of me that offends you. Now notice Aaron that David is not praying. God forgive me of X, Y, Z. He's not coming to the Lord with a list of things that he's asking for repentance for. He's asking God courageously to search his heart. Hmm. And, then, and then when the inattentional blindness is exposed, when the implicit bias is pulled up and say, wow, I didn't even know that my actions and my words and my thoughts and my, my motivation um, was off or, or unhealthy. The way that the scriptures describe it in the New Living Translation is search me and let me know if there's any way that offends you. And so those are prayers of implicit bias and inattentional blindness. And when I start thinking about um, uh, like aversion to discomfort, the way that I would say it is put away the cultural Advil or whatever the painkiller is. So Tylenol, Advil, ibuprofen. Um, all, all ibuprofen does is cover up pain. Mm. It does not take care of the root of the pain. Yeah. And we've got to be courageous that if we knew healing was within reach, would we be willing to experience pain? Wow. That's good. That's good. And that kind of segues us into the next question. You share, um, you know, avoiding these difficult conversations, these difficult t- subjects, uh, discussions with our kids. It's not a, it's not a courageous thing to do. And we need to have the courage to jump into those, those conversations. Do you have, I'm sure you do. Do you, can you share some of your wisdom and insight on how parents can have some of these, um, difficult conversations, but we need to have them and not shelter our kids because it's the reality of life and how we cannot fall into those, those three things that you shared with us just before. Yeah. I think that, I think that every parent, uh, first, first and foremost, this is one of the more emotional parts of, of the, the process for me is when I start realizing what I've passed on to my kids before I started to really genuinely care about my neighbors. <laughs> um, and so I think that every parent should just think back on the history of their, their parenting and say, when I, had a, when I was nervous to have a conversation with my kids, how did they respond? And, mm. and normally, in any other area that we're talking about, we walk away, and I'm sure you and Heather have had these opportunities where you, you have a talk with your kids and say, huh, they handled that a lot better than I thought they would, hmm. right? It's just the courage of parents. How do you bring it up? Well, just create a moment, you yeah. know, take them on a walk, you know, yeah. go watch the sunset, you know, get up a little bit earlier, bring, make breakfast, you know, do anything to create a moment and then just bring it up. The more that you bring up um, things related to division, the more natural it'll become. And, and all of a sudden, like, I think that, that even with kids, framing things as questions instead of statements are going to help you to learn from your kids, but also it's going to help the kids learn without them even know you're teaching them anything. That's good. Hey, what, what do you think about, you know, what we just saw on the news? 
instead of saying, hey, we just saw something really hard on the news. So again, it goes back to tone, right? Yeah. And that's a psychological thing. If you just say something in a different tone and with a smile on your face, it changes the game, yeah. right? So if, if you say, hey, what do, what do you think about what we just saw on the news the other day? Yeah. And then they'll start talking about it. The questions will come out of their heart. And actually, you may be totally shocked because remember we talked about these de divisive things are sowed into us. And sometimes mm. the, the seeds have not even taken root in our kids' hearts yet. Mm. And so by bringing it up and learning from them, we can, we can then see, wow, my kid hasn't even been impacted by this. So let's talk about it. Make sure that there's no room for that to grow in their heart. Or, man, I feel like that's taken root a little bit. And then always bring it back to scripture, you know, yeah. like with the kids, always bring it back to, hey, we've talked about this before. You know, like if, if Jesus says to love God with all of our heart and soul, our mind and our strength, do you think that, you know, the stuff that we saw in the news, does that, does that match up to that? Does that match mm. up to loving our neighbor as ourself? That's good. So for me, having courage to um, engage my kids in conversation, understanding that they probably can handle a lot more than I give them credit for, and then framing things as questions and not, not being so serious about it. Like you yeah. can have a serious conversation with uh, a curious tone of voice. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate the wisdom and insight because it's yeah. it's valuable. And I think as as parents, we have this opportunity, and um, yeah. and and entering into those courageous conversations is and framing it with questions is is gold. So I appreciate yeah. um, your insight in on that. Absolutely. Last question: You share that this is one a stat from the book that would honestly shock me. You share that ninety six percent of the children born into poverty um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, will not escape the cycle of poverty, and um, yeah. And then we, and we see then that volunteers will just like me, you're thinking 96%, I need to do something about that. But right. then you share that, that when we volunteer and there's not a relationship, it, in, it ends up being yeah. toxic. It ends up being yeah. toxic. And so can you just share um, what we can do, how we can develop those relationships? And so not out of well intentions and we really want to help but we end up creating something toxic rather than and caring mm -hmm. for the people that we've been touched by their, um, their situation. Yeah. So I'll actually start that answer with a question. Um, and it would be for you, for me, and for everybody listening is do the stats, the, you know, the sociological stats of the community in which you're engaging, do they break your heart? Yeah. Like when was the last time, that you looked at research, you know, yeah, and, and most people are going to say never, you know, yeah. like research, you know, missionaries um, would be more inclined to look at demographic studies. Right. But when was the last time we, we looked at a demographic study and allowed um, lament to enter hmm. into our heart? Man, that grieves me. Hmm. So the stat that you're talking about is a stat that broke my heart. And it was 96% of kids that are equal to their peers across socioeconomic, socioeconomic statuses across. So 96% of them that would be equal, like same age as their peers, but are from different economic classes. The kids that are living in poverty um, have a 96% chance to never get to those higher levels of economic income. Um, mm. So if you, the thing that reverses that for me is that means that 4% of the kids have that same chance to get to those higher levels of economics. The, that's egregious. 
And there's egregious stats that should break our hearts. So when we're looking at demographic studies and for missionaries that are going through the training and are getting this deluge of information, I would just say, let's make room for lament. Yeah. Let's make room for grieving before we ever even get to the new place. Or if yeah. you're already in a community, engage the, the research and the stats of that area with a new, a new um, perspective and a yeah. softer heart. Um, the, the thing about, um, engaging, um, you know, uh, in a toxic way, I think that the, the thing that I would say to that is that we need a lot more, um, Christ-like, uh, Christ embodied service to one another mm-hmm. that is rooted in relationship rather than, um, and I don't mean this offensively, even though it'll sting a little bit. Rather than people from an outside culture coming into an area, assuming they have answers. That's good. I did that. Okay. I did that. And I, and as I was moving into this new neighborhood, I was also studying on a doctoral level. So I had a lot of ideas on what I thought could really help the neighborhood. Yeah. And it turns out, Aaron, that the best ideas that have been the most lasting, um, after we've engaged in this neighborhood for the last five years, um, have come straight from the neighbors. Hmm. the people that have lived there for generations. And so it's become, is there a place for us to come into with training and with sociological um, backgrounds and, and being able to say, okay, hey, I'm called and anointed to be here. Well, you don't never say that to somebody, but you know that you're going into an area, you know, uh, empowered by the spirit of God. That Greek word is dunamis, that spirit energized power. You are there to make a difference. But I think you're there to make a difference, to call out. We remember the pastoral calling in the scriptures is to train up, to raise up, identify, call out those giftings and relief, right? It's yeah. not come in with the best idea of how to fix a neighborhood. That's it's good. cultivating and, and, and kind of working the soil. And then watch what happens when God starts to naturally flourish a community. And so Toxic Charity, which is a great book, we borrowed that book title for one of the uh, chapter titles. Toxic Charity would be us going into a community uh, and not listening Hmm. and coming in with our best ideas. I think it's really important for all of us to make plans, right? But Proverbs 16 talks about, I can make my plans, but the Lord's going to order my steps. And so I feel like that, that passage, Proverbs 16 actually has at least three from memory that I can think of. Um, challenges like that, where it's like, okay, plan, do your part, but you got to release that plan because it's not going to work, right? I'm going to give you some pieces of the puzzle, but you're not going to get all of it. And so those are some of the practical things that I would say. No, it's it's, it's super valuable and very practical um, to our life and living in mission, whether wherever you're at, but specifically on those who are working overseas, because I think we do, we think that our value comes, and it, it honestly comes back to our identity. Sometimes we think our value in God's eyes comes with our great ideas, but he loves yeah. us because we're his. And yeah. um, that's where yeah. our value comes from. And um, to Absolutely. go in, as you share with relationship and, and love and um, yeah. man, I can, I could count the stories where I thought I had a great solution in a community and I didn't listen to the people. When I listened to the, the, the people out we were trying to care for, they had the solutions, but I thought my West Virginia ideas were going to be better. Yeah. They didn't work. So anyway, and their ideas. And one, one last thing that I would say, Aaron, is that our extravagant and intimate time with Jesus will give us the ideas that will land with our neighbors. And so don't forget to rest in him. Yeah. Uh, 
Mark 4 says that whether the farmer is at work or at rest, the Lord is always at work bringing the harvest. Oh, and we great. don't even know how he does it. Yeah. And so that would be just something that's really on my heart for, um, for the group that would be listening to this podcast would be just make sure there's a, a really healthy rhythm of work and rest. Because the Lord is with you even when you're resting. That's good. That's good. Well, my friend, um, I appreciate your wisdom, insight, and experience. I, uh, your book, where can people find your book? Yeah, the easiest place would be just neighborliness.com. Um, and uh, that's you know got all the different versions available on there. Uh, for people that are overseas, the Kindle version might be the easiest. Yeah. Um, this, this podcast is being recorded. Um, we're mid-July right now. I just finished recording the audio book last night. That's awesome. And um, and so if you prefer audiobook, that'll be available. Um, the book is also on Amazon.com, um, and the Kindle version is on Amazon. Um, but all of that could be found on um, Neighborliness.com. Yeah. The audiobook should be available sometime mid-August because uh, we're editing it now. Good right. deal. Well, we'll put the we'll put the um, website in the sh- in the show um, show notes, and then people can link there if they want to. Awesome. And um, so, hey, would you go? We normally end the podcast. We I normally yeah. ask the person to pray for the audience, and I would just ask you to pray for for me and pray for this audience that what the wisdom, insight, and experience you shared will not just be head knowledge, but these will be things that we put into practice Absolutely. even today. Absolutely. All right. Well, Father, we come to you with open hands and open hearts. And we pray that same prayer in our own way. Lord, search our hearts. Help us to know where there's anything that offends you. Help us to be courageous in the way that we respond to things that we're not trying to take down systemic oppression without first addressing our hearts. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would give wisdom and direction and help us to, uh, to see the beauty of God flourish in our own hearts and our own lives as we find the fullness of beauty of the beauty of God across dividing lines. Help us to see the beauty of your creation as we look at the beauty of each other. And uh, Lord, I just thank you, God, for Aaron. I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for every person that is listening. Help them to courageously engage in work. And then with a heart full of trust and dependence on you, rest well. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 